0: Thanks for tuning in. A warning that this episode deals with graphic violent content. Please listen at your own discretion. Millbury, California is a small city of 20,000, 15 miles south of San Francisco, where the fronds and the palm trees wave lightly in the sea air and cruising its streets and protecting its citizens was Anthony Sully, a police officer for seven years up until 1974, when he resigned and left the force to open his own electrical contracting business. Anthony had a hulking presence, tall and muscular. His dark short hair was receding with a few strands on top his face narrow with an angular jaw and thick moustache that hid his top lip. His eyes were deep and dark, the windows to a man with no soul. At one time, he had been married. When a second wife left him, he murdered their pet ducks and left them for his daughter to find. In a phone call later to his soon-to-be ex-wife, he uttered threats to her, their daughter, and her parents that he'd do to them what he'd done to the ducks. Anthony rented a large warehouse in Burlingame, just south of San Francisco. He turned the front into his residence and used the back to store equipment and vehicles. By the early 1980s, Anthony's business was very lucrative and provided the means for him to indulge his sinister side. Anthony had a fondness for cocaine and call girls The problem was, Anthony wasn't much of a gentleman. Cocaine and sex fueled an unhealthy rage and psychotic delusions that led to the destruction of many. Anthony used the warehouse to entertain prostitutes. His cocaine habit was a gas that lit his fuse. He was known to beat and be violent with the ladies he hired. Sometimes he paid them, sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he let them live, other times he didn't. Tina Livingston was a partner in an escort agency, and she and Anthony became friends in 1982. Tina hired 20-year-old Gloria Fravel from the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Unfortunately, Gloria ran up $500 of unauthorized charges on Tina's credit card. Court records indicate that on a Friday afternoon in the beginning of February, 1983, Tina brought Gloria and another prostitute, Kelly Burns, to Anthony's warehouse. He asked Gloria for a date. She declined. But how dare she? He slapped her across the face and instructed her to go to the back. He gagged Gloria slapped cold hard handcuffs on her wrists and suspended her from the ceiling. He told Tina he would make her pay back the money she owed her. Anthony then sexually assaulted Gloria. Afterwards, he allowed her to dress and told her she could go home. But then changed his mind. He bound and gagged her and set her down on the bed. He sat next to her on a chair and grabbed a piece of rope, formed a big loop, and tied a knot at the top, making a noose. Anthony freebased cocaine, then brutally attacked Gloria again. The gag fell out of her mouth, and she screamed bloody murder. Tina and Kelly came running but not to help her. Instead, they tried stuffing the gag back into her mouth to silence her. When that wasn't successful, they put the noose around her neck. That's when Anthony stepped in. Kelly put a pillow over Gloria's head, and Anthony stepped on the back of her neck. He gave the noose several tugs to feel the deal. Her body went limp. The three of them wrapped plastic around Gloria's body and put her in a van. Kelly joined Anthony as he drove to dispose of her while Tina stayed behind to clean up the warehouse. But as he was driving, Anthony was shocked to see that Gloria wasn't dead. He holds over and used a hatchet to hit her multiple times on the head. Blood splattered, covering Anthony and the van. Fifteen minutes from his warehouse, Anthony opened the van door and unceremoniously dumped Gloria on Skyline Boulevard near Highway 92. A few days later, Anthony picked up the local newspaper and saw an article of a battered body found and identified as Jane Doe. Gloria had been found by a man who was a butcher. Anthony found that ironic and pointed it out to Tina, laughing. Anthony was on a high. He told Tina he wanted to take a completely new girl. One that hadn't been paid yet for her services, then kill her before she had a chance to be with anyone else. Brenda Oakden came to Tina's mind. She was 19, a runaway from Huntington Beach, and worked as a receptionist at the escort agency. Brenda was nervous when Tina took her to the warehouse that day. When Anthony was done, he shot her in the back of the head, then wrapped her body in plastic. Then he stole a 55-gallon barrel from a neighboring business and stuffed her body inside and left it in the warehouse. Later, he told Tina that the only difference between killing someone now and killing someone as a policeman was that the police had permission to do it. At 24, Michael Thomas was a pimp, and his 20-year-old common-law wife, Phyllis Melendez, worked for him. At some point, Anthony felt they had ripped him off, and they must pay. He lured them to his warehouse, struck them in the face with a heavy object, had them kneel before him, and shot them in the back of the head. He wrapped their bodies in plastic bags, stole another barrel from the neighboring business. He placed Phyllis's body in with Brenda's and placed Michael's in the other barrel and left both barrels inside the warehouse. But the bodies began to emit an odor as they decomposed and this offended Anthony. He told Tina he had to get rid of them. In late April, he sealed the barrels with plastic and masking tape and sealed the lids with concrete. He loaded them into his van and drove to Golden Gate Park. There, in the middle of the night, under the cover of darkness, he found a valley amongst the trees and dumped both barrels. Neighbors of the park immediately noticed the barrels and thought they might contain oil and reported them. The Oakland Tribune reported that four days later, on May 3rd, firefighters arrived to remove the barrels. They were heavy and when they tried to move them, the concrete seal on one of them cracked. Blood oozed out. Firefighters stepped back and called police. A few days later, fingerprints on file were used to identify Michael and Phyllis. But Brenda's fingertips were too degraded to make a match. Anthony continued on his trail of destruction. Over the next few weeks, on three separate occasions, he entertained a call girl. Once lured to the warehouse, he physically bound them and held them against their will. While he freebased cocaine, he beat and assaulted the women before letting them go. For one of the attacks, he was charged with sexual assault but managed to make bail. Anthony contacted Tina looking for cocaine. She picked up Catherine Barrett, who had six ounces to sell, and dropped her off at the warehouse. Anthony's friend, Michael Francis, was there, and when Anthony told Catherine he needed to test it before paying for it, Michael suggested they steal it. Tina had left and was waiting at a nearby bar. Two hours later, Anthony called her and told her she didn't need to return to pick up Catherine because it was all taken care of. But Tina's car was parked at the warehouse and when she returned to pick it up she saw Michael in the back room. He was standing over Catherine's nude body with a knife in his hand. Then Michael leaned down and stabbed her. Tina backed up and turned to Anthony and told him this wasn't good. Catherine could be traced back to her and ultimately back to him. Anthony left Tina standing there and joined Michael. Catherine was stabbed multiple times but was still alive and moaning. Anthony picked up a sledgehammer and slammed it into her face. Catherine died at 24. Michael emerged from the back room, stating he could still hear the bones breaking. Anthony attempted to destroy her fingerprints by burning them, before wrapping her body in a plastic sheet. But he had unknowingly wrapped a cigarette butt and metal shavings from the warehouse in with her body. He drove to an industrial section in San Francisco and dumped her. Catherine's body was found on August 19th. Anthony owed Barbara Searcy money and she wanted to collect it. He left a message on her answering machine that he had 50 bucks for a date with her. Some time after she arrived at the warehouse, He tied white cotton rope around her wrists, and yellow rope around her ankles, then shot her in the back of her head. Later, he put her belongings into a bag and gave them to Tina. He asked her to go to her apartment and erase the message on her answering machine. Tina did go, but got spooked and left before erasing the recording. Anthony wrapped Barbara's body in plastic, and Tina helped him load her into his truck. Anthony had a plan to make her body unrecognizable. He tied a rope around her and dragged her behind his truck for a mile. But then someone spotted them. He cut the rope, and they left Barbara's body behind and sped away. She was found the next day. Nearby were green trash bags covered in her blood and a single footprint. Meanwhile, forensic specialists were able to locate fingerprints and palm prints preserved in cement on the barrels found in Golden Gate Park. They were traced back to Anthony, the man who had once been a cop and trained in fingerprints was too high on cocaine to remember to wear gloves. On August 25th, 39-year-old Anthony was arrested on suspicion of murder. He waived his Miranda rights and gave the San Mateo County Sheriff's Officers a tape-recorded statement. A search of Anthony's warehouse revealed a treasure chest of evidence. Plastic bags with a design defect were found to match the bags used to wrap Michael's body. Police found a revolver that was likely the murder weapon, but Anthony had removed the barrel, which made it impossible to identify. Anthony's footprint matched the one found on the green trash bag near Barbara's body and rope found in his warehouse and van match the yellow and white ropes he'd used to bound her. Anthony's footprint was found on the plastic sheet he'd wrapped around Catherine's body, and investigators were able to match the cigarette butt and metal shavings found inside the plastic to evidence found in his warehouse. He was charged with her murder. Anthony called Tina and asked her to contact Michael to see if he would take the fall for Barbara and Catherine's murders for $10,000. Because as a juvenile, he would serve only a couple years in prison. But Michael didn't take the bait. In September, Anthony was charged with three counts of murder for the bodies found in the barrels belonging to Michael, Phyllis, and Brenda. Investigators began looking at other unsolved murders. In October, investigators received a tip and identified the Jane Doe, found eight months earlier, as Gloria Fravel. Anthony was charged with her murder. In the San Mateo County Superior Court, Anthony pled innocent to all six murder charges with special circumstances. Kelly Burns' palm print was also found on one of the barrels. She was charged with first-degree murder and pled no contest and sentenced to 25 years. The East Bay Times reported that over the years, Kelly came out for parole three times, but was denied because she failed to show remorse. She was eventually paroled in 2016. Michael Francis was charged and convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Tina contacted authorities and confessed. She agreed to testify against Anthony in exchange for a three-year sentence as an accessory. Finally, in April 1986, Three years after the murders, Anthony's trial got underway. It took six weeks to screen prospective jurors, and in the end, eight men and four women would decide his fate. The trial was expected to last four to six months. The prosecution planned to call more than a hundred witnesses. Anthony's defense waived an opening argument, His two court-appointed lawyers portrayed Anthony as a former police officer and successful businessman, and that although he was into a life of drugs and prostitution, he did not murder them. Rather, they tried to blame his accomplices, Tina, Kelly, and Michael. Witnesses took the stand to say Anthony was a good electrician and employer. And as for the fingerprint in the cement, Anthony claimed he'd happened to cross the barrel and touch the lid to see if the cement was dry. The prosecution put many of the women Anthony had assaulted and abused on the stand. They also presented the physical evidence found at his warehouse that tied him to the murders. A fingerprint expert testified that the fingerprints and palm print immortalized in cement belong to Anthony. The San Francisco Examiner reported that during the prosecution's lengthy closing argument Assistant District Attorney Tom Stevens said We've all taken a long journey together but it pales in comparison to the journey taken by friends and relatives of the six young people who were so mercilessly butchered and packaged for disposal. Anthony's defense lawyer, in his closing argument, stated that although his client had a lifestyle none of us would approve of, it didn't prove he committed the murders. The trial wrapped up early after three weeks, and the jury rendered a verdict. guilty on all charges. When the verdict was read, Anthony pounded his fist on the table and went into a full minute-long lecture shouting obscenities at the jury. Weeks later, it took the jury only three hours to determine his sentence. At 42 years old, the jury decided on death by the gas chamber. A month later in court for his sentencing, Anthony sat quietly in front of the judge before opening up a 14-page statement that took him 28 minutes to read, in which he insisted he was innocent. Afterwards, he vowed to appeal. One of his lawyers, John Balliet, said that he wanted to ask the court for a life sentence, but Anthony wouldn't agree that he would rather be executed than spend the rest of his life in prison. While Anthony has been incarcerated on death row of a San Quentin State prison in California for almost 36 years. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Paige Bergfeld. The single mom was a wonder woman, working four jobs to support her three young children and pay the mortgage. But Paige had a secret life no one knew about, until she disappeared and searchers found her business card. If you are dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder 20 are available for free at murder 20com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects and Vaseline studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.